0: Can do it now. That's awesome. Uh, good morning, everybody. Did you have you ever missed the school bus? Yeah, the pit of the stomach feeling. Yeah, that kind of thing with the music playing, sadness. Um, yeah, like I, I was thinking of. Uh, you know that that feeling that you get when you miss something important and you know that you're you've been left out and uh i um when in uh, grade school i took a bus school bus uh to uh it was about like 10, 10 to 15 miles from our from our house this was ba- back in the 70s you know yeah right Back before my wife was born <laughs> that uh you know there was the they were gonna uh mix up the schools, so uh all bunch of us white kids from that neighborhood were all bused to the black neighborhood and we were all mixed in with the black kids and uh that was an eye opener for us who uh you know in our neighborhood we were like the tough guys, and then we went to that neighborhood and we were like, uh oh, yeah, we were not. But anyway, you know, when you're that young, none of that mattered. My best friends were uh, African-American, and you know, we didn't think anything of it. But um, my point is not interracial schooling. My point is that uh, – so my mom worked the seven to three shifts. She was a nurse. So if I – I walked – it was like four blocks to my bus – so I had to walk to the bus, then it's like an hour after we pick everybody up, the hour to get to school. I can distinctly remember one morning missing the bus. I, I mean, there it was going down the road, and I had missed it. My mom's already at work, my dad's at work, and I have no way to get to school. And uh, It's not like we have family nearby, so I have to trudge back home. I'm probably in second or third grade. It's faint memory, but I remember scary as all get out. Uh, our whole neighborhood was empty. The streets were empty. This is back when everybody worked. <laughs> and, and, you know, there was nobody around. There was nobody home. Thank God we left our doors open. And uh, I just I remember that day just feeling lost. I'm missing school. I'm going to be in huge trouble, the whole thing. Pity your stomach. Oh, my God, I was sick to my stomach. Imagine if Christ came back and you missed it. Talk about a sick feeling. What if you figured out as you were studying the Scripture that, oh my God, Christ came back in the, I don't know, 1890s or early 1900s. I can't go much farther. For some of you in the room, you would have been born already. But, you know, what if he came back 1700s or something? You figured it out from the Scripture, and you missed them. What now? As you'd be scrambling to find out what now. It would be a horrible feeling. We're going to see today that you have not been left behind because God gives us prophecy. And the prophecy is given to us. Not that we can know all of it. Believe me, we don't but that we can know enough to know we haven't missed the thing. That's second Thessalonians chapter 2, by the way. We're also told <clears throat> that the Lord can come back at any moment. And so, but none of us know the day nor the hour. And that's not meant to say, "Well, I know the week." It's not meant <laughs> for that. A lot of people try that curveball around God's word. That's not what it means. <clears throat> When the language reads day or hour, it means nobody knows when. What minute, what hour, what day, what week, what year, what decade, what century, nobody knows. And that is to keep us looking, alert, ready, watchful, and doing what the Master would want us to do as he returns. And in the midst of that, there's all this trouble because we're not told everything. You know or the, does it mean that there's two comings of the Lord. You know, rapture and second coming. Those who don't believe in the rapture think the rapture is a coming, and and it is. Except we say, well, he doesn't touch down at earth. You know, and and we kind of, you know. But there, there's issues. There's some issues. There's some bigger issues with others, but theories, I should say. But what they are, what we're trying to do as believers is take. All that is said about the future, and try to make it make sense, in our chronological minds. Chronological, logical, reasonable. And you know, God does not limit himself to chronology. Is that the word? He's not chronological. He's outside of time. God does not do all things logical. And certainly God doesn't obey human reason. And so while we're trying to superimpose our reason on things, we just have to be a little bit careful, that's all. And uh, we're going to see that this morning. That's what today is about. Today is about, no, you haven't missed the bus. And yes, he could come back today. The scripture is very clear. It's abundantly clear. The scripture also tells us there's signs before a certain coming of Christ. And so we have to try and iron that out. And What we do is we insert a rapture in there, which uh, helps us to make sense of the whole thing. And uh, we're going to, not just today, today's an, today's an intro to what we're going to spend probably a couple of weeks on. And trying to look into the future. It's super exciting. What's most important Is not that you get your dispensational chart accurate. By the way, you're not going to find a dispensational chart in this book. But that the application that's clearly told to us, the application of what the future is coming, is what you live in. Knowing full well that you don't know exactly how all things are going to pan out in the future. You don't. I don't. Nobody does. Not exactly. But we know enough so that we have a real solid foundation in terms of how we apply our lives now in the present to what's coming in the future. And if we do that, we're going to keep searching, we're going to keep looking, we're going to keep learning, and then, and we're also going to be excited about the future. And uh, so, before we pray, I uh, want to remind you, that uh, picnic is coming up on August 12th. There's some more of these cards back there if you want um, information. We mailed out a bunch, too. It's at Fox Farm on August 12th. starts at 11 a.m., uh, and it's going to be catered and all food taken care of. So you can just bring yourself, uh, and there you go. Uh, August 12th, please join us. Bring a friend if you want, I would say. If we run out of food, then... You know, send them home hungry. I don't know. I don't know. But please, bring, if you have some friends to bring, bring them. Uh, on August 5th, next Saturday at noontime, we're going to have a memorial service for Roger Bennett here in, in, uh, in the basement in the church. And uh, we will uh, have a, a time of memory and, um, and the gospel and a thankfulness to the fact that we know where Roger is and uh, to celebrate him, his family, and his love of God's Word. So if you want to join us for that, that's August 5th, next Saturday at noontime. Here. Here. I said that, right? Yeah, Yeah, I did. Way to pay attention. (laughs) All right, let's open up in prayer. Kidding. Uh, Well, let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for our time together to hear his Word and to... um, be fully instructed as much as we can from God's word about these great things that are to come and to see how much they affect us now. Let's be grateful and humble before God's word. And with that in mind, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have revealed to us past, present, and future. Many things concerning your infinite wisdom we cannot know. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, we know in part. And there will come a day where we, we will know fully. And until that day, we put our faith in what you have revealed. Everything that you have revealed to us is for our good. There's nothing that need, we need fear. We need to learn and continue to learn and relearn all that you have revealed. What you have done is given us the life of Christ. You have given us a life that is fellowship, walking with, loving you, adoring you, worshiping you, going through life with you. Closer and closer as we mature, we learn more, we apply more. And so we're so grateful, Father, that you have saved us by the work of your Son and that you have set us free by your word and by your spirit within that makes your word understandable so that we may live in a temporary world in great light of a future, glorious, holy eternity. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. All rise, please.
1: in the sun, I can only imagine, when all I can do is forever, forever worship you.
0: We're going to start in 1 Thessalonians 5. Today our general theme is that God reveals enough information about the future to give us a solid footing, a solid footing for hope. And that hope comes in uh, several forms. We'll explore those as we go on uh, and... And I would would say at the start here is is I uh, introduce this and then we kind of get into more detail as this week goes on. If you have any questions about anything, just shoot me an email and I'll do the best that I can. I'm not saying I have all the answers. Actually, the more I have explored this very subject, the more questions I have. So God reveals enough information about the future to give us a living hope. But he does not give us enough information to make predictions. Now, pride is a big issue. I find it interesting that in, in the world we have Pride Month. You know, we know what that's for, but pride is the greatest of all sins. <laughs> and, of course, in Pride Month, people are telling God that they can do what they want outside of his will. And, you know, hey, we're all sinners I don't condemn them for it. I pray for their salvation. Pride, However, pride is in Christians as well. We must understand that none of us are immune to it. Pride prevents learning. That's one of the big problems with it. Proud people stop learning. Unfortunately, pride has been a virus in the church since the beginning. Christians want to look... Often It comes in many forms, but what I'm talking about now is wanting to look like you know everything fully. I know that. I know that. I know this, that, and the other thing. And that's why false doctrines find easy pathways into the church is because it plays on people's pride, and Satan knows this. The first problem, the first false doctrines that uh, affected the church in the first century, were the preliminary doctrines that would eventually make Gnosticism. And Gnosticism has the word gnosis in it, which is knowledge. And the Gnostics believed that they had this higher knowledge, secret knowledge, that only they could know. And if you knew that knowledge, you could get closer to God. And uh, obviously, people bought into that who were proud. Can I have secret knowledge that nobody knows? And, and if you're proud, that's exactly what you want. For what reason? Say, I know something that you don't. Do you want to sound good? Or do you want God to sound good? God said that to me this morning as I was getting to my computer. I wanted to make sure this message was the best that I could make it to be, which I think is a good motivation. But then God said, hey, do you want to sound good, or do you want me to sound good? And I knew the answer to that. You're not going to fight with God about that. But think about that as, a, as a app applied to your entire life every single day. Do you want to sound good? And people go, wow, you're so smart. You're so great. You're so, know, you're so knowledgeable. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But it's, you know, what is your priority? Do you want to sound good, or do you want God to sound good? Here's another way of looking at it. Are you willing to look foolish and unknowing when you know nothing or don't know something about God's plan? If there's something about God's plan, say it's in there in the Bible. I just don't know it yet. Is it okay to say I don't know? Or, ooh, but what if you're a pastor? Someone asks you a question. Hey, you're a pastor, blah, blah, blah. You know, I ask you the question and I'm like, um, uh, I could easily make something up. You know, pass it off as truth. Say it confidently. That's right? how politicians do it. Believe the lie enough, and it, it sounds like the truth. Or, are we willing to say, I don't know? Will we speak for God the things that we don't yet know? That's a dangerous place to be. False doctrines are built upon it. Second, would God not give us, in in light to this question, because when it comes to eschatology, there's things we don't know. Would God not give us enough information about his future to give our expectations a solid footing? In other words, do I have enough Or do I have to fill in what God left out? Right? Did he leave out a chapter here and there? You could look at it that way. Yeah? Um, Should I fill it in? No. (laughs) I hope you know the answer to that. Absolutely not. So there's, you know, one of the theological terms is a common term. This is sufficient. We don't need extra. Like the Mormons, put in extra. Jehovah's Witnesses, they changed it to fit their preconceived notions that Jesus is not a deity. They changed it. Uh, same thing with others that are really cults. They've added to, changed. It is sufficient. Now, the fact that it's sufficient and that God gives us enough doesn't mean he gives us everything. We don't get all the details. We know enough to confidently look at the future. As we'll start with, we know enough to know that Christ could come back any day, any hour. So, when it comes to knowing and having hope, should I expect the wrath of God? Or should I expect the Son of Glory and and be glorified in Him? Now, right, all of you can answer that easily. Why is that? Because the Bible's super clear. Should should a Christian expect the wrath of God? Absolutely not. Is wrath coming? Oh, my God. I've been looking for a few weeks now into multiple, especially in the Old Testament, Testament, talking about the Lord's return. And the judgment, you know, some, some of these passages are here comes the Lord in glory, and it's awesome, and here are all his believers, and Israel is recalled into the land, into Zion, and he builds his, he sets on David's throne, and it's beautiful. And then there are other passages that talk about his wrath and anger upon mankind. And they, I mean, unless you don't care about people, they, they chill you. They, they honestly chill you. I mean, he doesn't pull back on this. Right? Uh, Isaiah 13. There's a chapter you could read this afternoon and get the wit scared out of you. And thank God you're a believer. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.2. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. All right. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. Now, it doesn't say here particularly. We're going to be particular, 1 Thessalonians five 2. We're going to be particular that the fact that it's about everything, we have to be. But it says the day of the Lord comes like a thief. It's not saying that the Lord does, but we're going to see that. Just so you know in every single instance that what it's saying. And that's coming, like, like a thief means, as the Lord will say in the Gospels, um, Nobody knows when the thief is coming. If you knew when the thief was coming, you would have been prepared for him. Now go skip down to verse 8. Since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Are you destined for wrath? Can it, could it be any more plain? The answer is no. Right? So there are aspects of truth about the future that are absolutely plain. Nobody could argue that a believer is destined for wrath. It says that this is just one example. There are multiple that we are not destined for judgment or for wrath. Doesn't that give you peace? I hope it does. No matter what you're going through today, there's going to be an eternity of relief. Now, what we're looking at is eschatology. If you hear this word, here's where it comes from. The Greek word is pretty common in the New Testament, eschatos, and it means last. So we often hear end days, that's fine. Um, you know, technically in the, in the uh, halls of, uh, of the seminary and uh, theological um, uh, department in universities, generally they're like, no, 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 it's last days. And that's because eschatos means last. So it's the study of the last days. And, you know, when do the last days begin? Could we be in them now? There is actually last days for the church. I'm telling you, you're going to get more questions. It, you got to stick with me as I try to iron out my questions. Because I, I can't help the fact that I have more than what I started with. I can't help it. I can't, I can't put it off. I don't want to put it off anymore, meaning this study. But I've got a bunch of work to do. Because the deeper I have gone in, the more I've seen, wait, you know, wait a minute. And, and that's why I mentioned pride. It's far easier to have your own theology where, you know, up here somewhere in some compartment of your brain, you have everything in watertight compartments, very organized. And, and, as you're, you know, and that's set there, and that puts you at peace, right? If you know, you're, you're at peace. And then as you're studying, you're like, wait a minute. Uh, that doesn't fit with my compartment. Say compartment number 23. It doesn't fit with that. So you know what I'm going to do? See ya. I'm not going to go into it because I like the nice compartments. Now believe me, I'm still a rapture. I believe in the rapture. I'm not changing anything. What I'm, cha- what I'm, I'm not changing anything. What I'm going to show you is what we know, and I'm going to also show you what we don't know. And and I'll leave it to you. Now, what what do we know? What are we what don't we know? I, I'm I will I cannot in my ministry fill in the gaps. And I, I can, believe me, I do it. But I'm not gonna do it and say this is doctrine. I will do it and say it's my opinion. Because here's another thing. If something is a rational opinion, that is filling in a gap. You know, that, that's a, think of all the doctrines that branch off. Say Jesus is the vine and all of these doctrines branch off. Now, if you have a true doctrine as a branch, from that branch you can build more doctrines, more branches. So, Jesus is God. Right? That's a branch. That's solid. You can't deny it. From that you can build doctrines on the deity of Christ. And if those doctrines are solid from Scripture now, not from your reasoning, you can build off of those and you get multiple branches. But if one of your branches is a theory, build, that's okay, You know, it's okay we all do it. But if one of your branches is a theory, chop it right there. Do not build on a theory because it has no solid foundation. A theory has human reasoning in it. And therefore, it's not able. It's not divine. And since it has any, even the smallest amount of human reason, there's something either missing, because you don't have infinite, human reason doesn't have infinite knowledge. There's something missing or there's something wrong. And if you start building on it, you're carrying that missing part and that wrong part higher and higher, and then it evolves into something that's a mess. All right? So we have to be careful. What we don't have to be careful about is when the Scripture says something plainly. And that, one of those, is imminency. Christ could come in any day or any hour. We do not know either, however. Again, there are those out there who say, well, I know the week or I know the year or I know the decade or something like that. That is false. When Christ says this, Christ is the one who says this. He means what it means. In plain language, it means that nobody knows when. So it could be today. It could be tomorrow. But it's definitely imminent. Now, what we have done is we have interpreted the Scripture to mean that there is a coming of the Lord that's secret in the clouds of the air, to remove the church before the tribulation. Okay? So that's what we've done. Um, And as a theory, and it is a theory, I'm sorry to say it to you. If, If it makes you afraid, I understand why. But it's a theory. However, there are good theories and strong theories and there are weak theories. So for instance, um, a, a, bio, a biology teacher that I worked with many years ago was trying to convince me that, ato- that evolutionary theory was the same merit as atomic theory, because I'm a chemist. And atomic theory is based upon some very solid experiments in a laboratory. So if, if maybe you remember from high school, Rutherford's gold foil experiment. Did that ring a bell up there and as, anywhere as the bats are flying around? You know, it's a long time ago, I know. But there, there's, there's work done in the chemistry lab that shows that there's something very solid and very small in the middle of a vast ocean of nothingness within atoms, within the little, the little bits that make up our world. And we call that the nucleus right it's solid it's tiny 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 and it's super hard and solid and dense it's irrefutable now you know what's in there what it looks like what you know there's a lot still a lot of questions so that truth is still it's not atomic law it's still called atomic theory and why do we call it theory because we don't know everything about it so if you ever hear of these big particle accelerators they have in places that are under the ground, like the Hadron one, where what they're doing is in these massive uh, magnetic tubes, they're blasting near the speed of light little atoms, and they're bashing them together. And then they take pictures of it, x-ray pictures, you know, whatever pictures they're taking. It's not some guy with a Polaroid. Can you imagine? Be like, all right, here they come. Now take a picture. No, well, it wouldn't be fast enough. But anyway, and when they sma- they're smashing them together so that they'll break apart so that they can see what's inside. And we found some stuff inside. You know, there's neutrons, there's protons, and there's other things in the proton that are called like gluons, and these ons, and those ons, and, and, and are there things smaller than that? Probably, I don't know. But what we do know is that there's a nucleus. And that is still a theory, right? It has to be, because we don't know everything about it. Okay. Now, what about evolution? Well, we put the monkey in a cage for a million years, and he walked out, and he looked... Oh, I could pick on some of you right now, so... He looked like me. Right? He looked like a man. All right, it's a theory, right? It's just not a good one. It's actually a terrible one. Cuz the, the data the data refutes it. The fossil data, DNA, uh, all all recent discoveries te- absolutely blow evolutionary theory out of the water. But yet it's still a theory. So here's my point. There are good strong theories and there are weak theories. And when it comes to eschatology, a rapture doctrine is a strong theory. But it's a theory. And why is this important? Why don't, pastor, why don't you just say it's, it's it's a done deal? Because the Bible doesn't say it's a done deal. If there's a 1% chance that the church goes through the tribulation or a 0.5% chance, look, if we're all standing in the middle of the tribulation and we're like, well, dang, we got our eschatology wrong. Are we going to be mad at God? Are you going to say, well, God, you were wrong? He's going to say, no, you were wrong. Because we don't know everything about it do any of this like Paul's scripture right first Thessalonians 4:16 we meet the lord in the clouds of the air second Thessalonians chapter 2 he says to the Thessalonians don't worry the day of the lord hasn't come because the man of lawlessness is not standing in the temple well one of them's like imminent and the other one's a sign But Paul, here's the thing. If Paul said, well, look, don't confuse these two events. They're two different events. There'd be no no arguing over it at all. But he doesn't say that. He just writes it. He just says, look, the Lord's coming in the clouds of the air with the trumpets and the the dead shall rise. And that's a fact. But he also says the Lord, the day of the Lord, and he doesn't call it the day of the Lord in Second Thessalonians 2. He says the Lord is coming not until the man of lawlessness who creates this huge rebellion on earth <coughs> sets up his image in the temple, in the holy place. At the time he writes that to the Thessalonians, the temple is still standing. And so we're like, okay. Well, right. so what do we say? We've all been brought up in this. I think, uh, I would say all of you. But, that, uh, you know, all who listen to me have, have, may not be. But we say, well, one's the rapture and one's the second coming. And that's a, it's a good theory. But you have to remember it's a theory. So the the reason why it's important to know it's a theory is, first off, like I said before, it's a branch that you shouldn't build a whole bunch of doctrines off of. Because you don't really know 100%. And secondly, keep searching. You know, when you read, when you read for, say you read First Thessalonians 4 or Matthew 24, or any, you know, the passages that are about where Christ is talking about the second coming, what you can do is you can say, oh, I already know this. And you don't read intently. Say to yourself, there's something here that I am yet to know. And learn it with gusto. Because you'll learn more. <clears throat> now, early church. As Clement of Rome, he posed for this picture. He did not. This is a mosaic of him. I love how the there's various churches are all around, mostly Catholic in the Middle Ages, who made images of all of these people. And I wonder, you know, who is your model? Nobody knows what this guy looks like. But they say, well, let's make him look like that. Okay. So anyway, Clement, who's around 90 AD, right? He's a contemporary of the Apostle John. And he writes this, Therefore, let us us every hour expect the kingdom of God in love and righteousness, because we know not the day of the Lord's appearing. Now, why is this important to us? That the early church, right from the beginning, expected the Lord to be imminently returning. He's not saying here, have you seen the beast in the temple? Have you seen the man of lawlessness? Have you seen, uh, you know, uh, the thing, 90 AD, the temple's destroyed, by the way. That was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. So, he's not also writing, have you seen the temple rebuilt? Because the man of lawlessness can't put his image in the temple, in the holy place, in the holy of holies, where he puts it, unless it exists. So if the Lord's imminent, and, then, and that's a real sign, then we shouldn't be looking for the return of the Lord today, because there is no temple today. And so we have an issue Right? It's a paradox because it seems – the ones who are against the, – the, the people who are against, and they're solid. They believe the Bible to be inerrant. They're solid theologians or pastors. It's just that we generally haven't heard them because we've, we've all listened to the same people. But, um, you know, they, they stick on the fact that the Bible says there's a coming of the Lord and there's only one. And you pre-trib rapture people are telling us that there's two. And like, well, you know, after you know the work that I've done, I'd say, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, multiple, multiple passages don't say two comings. There's a first advent and a second advent, but I would say, you know, the rapture theory is the best. It's the only one that fits. Everything that we see. and not only that, but you've got Pentecost, Walrude, Schaefer, For Us theme and McLaughlin, who just had his, uh, they just had his memorial service this, this past weekend. Um, you know, and many others Arnold Frutenbaum, I, I love that guy, and uh, all of them believe in a rapture. I guess I was supposed to put a... Anyway, this is the Didak, or Didak-K. I don't really know how to pronounce it. But this is a, a first century uh, commentary. It's one of the first commentaries written, if not the first commentary written, uh, not by the apostles. We have no idea who wrote it, but it's written in the first century, probably about the same time, uh, 90 A.D., 100 A.D., something like that. Uh, and it's a it's a solid commentary on... The truths of the scripture. And just to show, you know, that the early church was looking for imminency. Watch for your life's sake. Let not your lamps be quenched, nor your loins unloosed. I thought that was kind of funny, meaning your pants will fall down when the the Lord returns. Don't want that. Let your lamps be quenched, nor your loins unloosed. But be ready, for you know not the hour in which the Lord comes. I expected it. Any moment, any day. Well, let's go to the real data, which is in the Scripture. The imminency of his return is overwhelming in Scripture, multiple times in Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13, Luke 21. Those first three, and if you want to delve into this before we get into it or while we're getting into it, those three in the Gospels, Matthew 24 and 25, won't take you long to read them. Uh, You could read them and compare them and you'll learn quite a bit. Uh, Matthew 24 through 25, Mark 13, Luke 21. But also John 14:2 through 3, 1 Corinthians 1:7, 1, 1 Corinthians 5:5 5, 5 through 9, Titus 2:13, James 5:8 through 9, Revelation 3:10 and Revelation 22:17 through 22 where the Lord says three times I'm coming quickly. That's the last chapter of the Bible. So he doesn't say the temple is going to be rebuilt quickly. The man of lawlessness is coming quickly. He doesn't. He doesn't give signs, even though the Book of Revelation is full of them. But he says, "Look, I'm coming quickly." And John concludes the letter with, "Yes, Amen, Lord Jesus, come." That is imminency. Now, What jazzes me about this is how God has left out just enough so that we have to keep looking and also we can't predict anything. I'd say, you know, I'm going to dive into every scripture. I'm going to find out everything about the future. You are not. It would be a great benefit to your soul to do it. But you ain't going to find out everything. And I like in this too. See, in the Old Testament, the prophets are looking forward to the coming of Christ. Did they know everything about the coming of Christ? Even though there's so much prophecy about him in the Old Testament, but yet still he to them was a shadow. Doesn't it make sense that the next stage, which is going to be us in eternity, this is really what it's about. First, the tribulation has to deal with Israel. We're going to deal with that in a class. That's why, you know, those who don't believe in a rapture are often the same people who mix up the church and Israel in terms of the covenants given to Israel. And you see that, and because they have, the, they want the church to go through the tribulation. They want it because they want their theory to be right. And that's going back to my initial point: pride. So many are approaching the Scripture because they already have their theories, and they're going to make the Scripture fit their theories. See, those who don't believe in an imminent Rapture, I've read all about them and all their explanations for these passages. They're weak, weak sauce. They're watered down. It just doesn't fit. So I, you know, if if I were talking to one of them, I'd say, you know, there's a lot of holes in your theory. You might poke some in mine, but mine has a lot less holes than yours. All right, go to Matthew 24:44. Oh, look at the time. For this reason, Matthew 24:44. For this reason, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Plain as day. Now, in the rest of the chapter, in this whole chapter, he does reveal signs of his coming. And so, you know, we have to iron that out. I, I truly love that Scripture doesn't say, hey, guys, don't confuse this with this coming and, and the other coming. They don't do that. It would be great if they did, but they don't. It's left to us to, I wouldn't say figure out, but to try, to try. Matthew twenty five thirteen. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. Now, So before I get to my conclusion, which will come up quickly here, notice that there's application in this, and that's what we have to focus on. What Satan and the kingdom of darkness would love us to do is to keep arguing over pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture amillennialism, <coughs> uh, postmillennialism, pre- we're premillennialists. That's a solid doctrine in my book, premillennialism. But anyway, uh, and, and all of that. And we're miss as we're trying to win the argument, we're missing the point. And if Satan would love us to do that. And it's worked. It has worked. That attack on the church has worked. But notice, uh, if you go back to verse uh, chapter twenty four forty four, for this reason you also must be what? Ready. There's the application. That is the application to imminency. Every day, I'm ready. Twenty five thirteen. Go back there. Be on the what? Alert. Alert and ready. This could be my last day on earth. This could be, not, it's not just the last day on earth. It's the last day that I'm dealing with every earthly thing. Last day. Now, are, are the odds that it won't be today? Well, it depends on how you look at odds. Because God doesn't deal in odds. For 2,000 years it hasn't happened. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Not to God. Right? As Peter, Peter writes, Second Peter 3, to God a thousand years is a day. It doesn't matter to him. This is all going by for him pretty rapidly, I would think. There are several more. What's fascinating is that the, in the midst of these passages, there are numerous others that prophesy signs and events that occur before the coming of the Lord. Now, we say, well, we know why, because there's a rapture and a second coming. And I agree with you. But if you were in the first century reading these letters for the first time, you haven't developed these doctrines yet or these theologies. I was going to bring out my big fat theology books to show you. Uh, you know, go ka-chunk. I could put it. It's like this thick. This guy does not agree that there's a rapture. Ka-chunk. Here's a bunch. Of, that that stack is higher in my office because I'm a pre-trib I'm a pre-trib rapture guy. So those theology books are this big, but I have some theology books that disagree with it, and I am blessed to have them. Some years ago, I wouldn't have read them at all; I'd have thrown them out. But by reading them, I'm better. Because not not because I I, I question the scripture, what it says. It's just that you know it, if. I can see what they're saying, and if I'm confident in what I believe, then I should be able to deal with that. You know, we're, we're at uh, we're at crazy days. It's called in Dallas. It's called crazy days. It's not very crazy, but uh, anyway, our old Dallas folk know that know this. Anyway, it's just a big uh, uh, kind of like a street block party where people sell things it's kind of like a saturday market kind of thing for a few days with food and everything it's really fun um there was a air force booth where they were you know recruiting uh, probably for young people not for people like me obviously they weren't interested in me for some reason Uh, And they had a chin-up bar, and they said said to me, if you can hold yourself there for 30 seconds, I'll win a prize. Or or I could do some chin-ups. I'm like, I ain't doing any chin-ups. But barely, barely, I was able to hold myself up for 30 seconds. And here comes Chris's mom, Jeanette. Many of you know Jeanette. She's 71 years old. She's like, I'm going to do it. And we're like, okay. Not only does she hang there for 30 seconds, she did two complete pull-ups. Kicked my butt. Now, why did I even go there? Oh, that was a commercial break. They're Jehovah's Witnesses milling around. As soon as I saw them, I'm like, oh, you know, I get the thing in my stomach and I'm like, should I wanna go up there? And, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, what? whatever their teaching, if I can't listen and say, hey, you know what? Have you thought of this, 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 and this? And none of us are really thrown off course by Jehovah's Witnesses, probably. But could, could we defend the deity of Christ from the Scripture? Could we defend what we believe? And I guess that's my point. We would not be afraid of learning things if we were solid in what we knew. Purposely, I think, now here's my theory, I think God purposely left us in some darkness concerning these things so that we put our faith in them. So application to imminency is to be alert. Go to Titus 2. I'm going to hurry up here. Titus 2, verse 11. Application to imminency is to be alert, be ready, be expectant, and to be found by the Lord doing His will when He returns. And as the Lord says, your reward will be great. Be alert, ready, expectant, found by the Lord doing His will when He returns. He promises a great reward for this. He doesn't give us specifics on what the reward is, but why should we care? It's got to be awesome. We don't need specifics here. We don't. Do we need specifics about what heaven looks like? I mean, a cubic city, 1,500 cubits in all directions with streets of gold and 12 pearly gates. All right, we think of that. And I'm like, uh, okay, that did not make any sense to me. But, you know... Do I have to hang my hat on that? It's not just the city. It's not the, just the physical location, is it? I mean, I'm, I'm with the Lord forever. But no more death. That is defeated. No more tears. No more crying. No more pain. No more anything. No more conflict. No more wars. Nothing. No more sin. That's what we're looking towards. And that could happen for us today. That's the point of imminency. Look at Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So here, what he says here is the grace of God has appeared. That's that word, uh, just the same word used for the appearance of the Lord, at his second coming, or this is the first coming, the grace of God came in the birth of the Son. He brought salvation to all men. There's an unlimited atonement passage, right? Instructing us to deny. See, this is what our salvation does. We are saved and it instructs us to die, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Present age. So notice the language. This is present age this is going to be future age or age to come, which is usually how it's put. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. So notice in verse 11, he's used the word twice, same word. The grace of God has appeared. That's the first advent. And we who are saved, who live godly, righteously, sensibly, are looking, this word means expectant, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Paul uses the same word glory for the second coming, in that when he comes he will be glorified in us. But then Paul uses the same word to speak of how we are to live now in glorifying Christ who is to come. And notice in verse 13, we're looking for it. We're expectant of it. Now, if it's not imminent, we'd be looking for signs. But we're not looking for signs. But there are signs. (laughs) There are signs. Go to Matthew 24. Now, are there signs of His coming before He comes? Well... Actually, I would say yes. I agree, Suzanne. Absolutely yes. But they're, they're the ones that he calls birth pangs in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. Same thing. He calls them birth pangs in all three Gospels, the three synoptics. That they're things that could be at any time. Uh, for They are wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes famines, and persecution of the church. And he says, you got to look for those. And right after Christ, I mean, at Pentecost, we have that. The Romans are always at war. We say, well, you know, maybe he meant the world wars. But if rumors, if wars, and that's the other thing, nation will rise against nation. If that's just the world wars, and everybody before 1914 should not have been expecting the coming of the Lord. But there were always been wars. Have they increased? Yeah, a lot. But how can they increase more? Uh, yeah. How about earthquakes? Since they've been measured, they have increased. So we look, me and my buddy Mike, Mike's, You know this term. If you're in my ministry, you know the term raptard. I I use it for them. They they, and I love them dearly, my dear friends, uh, Ellen Woods and Michael Pavia, who think the rapture's coming at the uh, feast of trumpets at Rosh Hashanah. And you know, I always debated with them. He said, "Well, if he's coming in September, he he can't. He can't be imminent now, right?" And there was all of that. We'd have fun with that at would have a rapture party every year, which was a great party. Because everybody, th- they all think the Lord's coming, right? So they probably lived a little too much. Anyway, uh, and not that I, not me, I, you know, I was very reserved. But, you know, the next day and the week after, they'd be kind of down in the dumps. Because he didn't come back. Anyway, I don't think they listen to me, so I can make fun of them. Uh yeah, the raptards. I'm losing my mind here. What was my point? Yeah. <laughs> um you know, it's we cannot know, but we need to be expectant all the time. And so so here and and I I've got time. Well, let's read this first. Sorry. I'm pressed for time and I'm and I'm just relaxed. Matthew 24, 42. Matthew 24, 42. Therefore, be on the alert. Right? See that word again. Alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time the time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. Now we read in 1 Thessalonians 5 that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. Right? So this... This language is going to be carried over so that we can connect all the dots, at least the best that we can. If so, it means that we don't know. He would have been on the alert and he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. So, we just wait around. Do nothing. Wait for the Lord's return. It's like we're waiting for a bus. And we know we can't miss it. That's so cool. You can't. I always love the jokes about the, uh, you know, the unicorn who showed up for the Noah's Ark like two hours too late. And that's why he's not around. So at verse 45, Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge? Whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Right? So what does the Lord use? And he uses this multiple times. A master's gone away and he's left the stewards and the slaves in charge. And what are you going to do? Because you don't know when when the master's coming back. You're to be watchful. You're to be alert. You're to be ready. And you're to be doing the master's will. So when he returns, when you don't know... What does he find you doing? <clears throat> so notice the reward, verse 47. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. Now, this is a parable, because right, the next part is the scary part, and we have to remember that this is a parable. But as a parable, it's not that Jesus is not saying here he's going to put you in charge of the universe, because those are his possessions. It's just it's language that portrays to us, look, this is worth it. It is so rewarding to you to be found by the Master, and you don't know when he's coming, to be found doing his will. And that's what's important. That's what's important. Whether we call you know, rapture is a Latin word. It's not in the Bible. It's a Latin translation translation of another word that's used in First Thessalonians four sixteen. But that's fine. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. We've got to call it something. But, you know, whether we call it rapture, in First Thessalonians 4, it's called uh, caught up. Caught up together. We will be caught up together with him in the clouds of the air to meet the Lord in the air. That's where the word rapture comes from. Jerome, who wrote the Vulgate, took that word. i got it here in a second over here harpazo he took harpazo and he translated it raptus that's the latin term it means same thing it's a good translation and over time it evolved into more modern latin and it became rapture or rapture but that's where the term comes from so which is fine All right, so we have a lot here now, um, just to wrap this up now, so there's all this other stuff. we're going to get into it as we go on. Uh, and I, I literally just give me a minute here. Um, there's all this prophecy too. I mean not, not just the wars and rumors of wars, and nation against nation and famine and earthquakes and persecution that that could be any age. Um, you know, the last days for the church are described, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Uh, yeah, isn't that every age? So we, we want to put a pin in it, <laughs> and it defies that. It defies it. We want to say, well, in order for this to work, there has to be two comings, because the church, I, I and I'm in full agreement with this, that the church should not be going through the tribulation. But there's plenty of evangelicals. They believe all the same doctrines you believe. They just think that the church is going to go through the tribulation. I'd I, I say, well, all right. They're interpreting the same scriptures. They don't have a different Bible. They're working really hard to interpret the Bible, but their interpretation is that the church is going to go through the tribulation. And they use multiple scriptures to try and prove their case. I look at their interpretations and their case, and I say, well, you know, I see what you mean. I see where you're coming from. But there's problems with it. And one of the big problems is that the tribulation is clearly earmarked to deal with Israel. And if you're throwing the church into it, and then you find out a lot of these people are those who think the church is Israel and that Israel doesn't receive the covenants anymore because they rejected the Lord. They're called covenant theologians or reformed theologians. And you're like, well, is that biasing your interpretation? Perhaps. But then the next question I ask myself, what are my biases? Because we all got them. And what I want to do and I'm sure you do, is just to minimize our biases as much as possible. Even if you have them, and you do, what is truly irrefutable is that imminency means any day. Any time, any time, day or hour, that's all of these. You have no clue when. Even those Reformed theologians and Covenant theologians, they cannot deny that fact. They just try and explain it in a different way. I used to judge them a lot more harshly. I just think, you know, if I was brought up in a Reformed church, I was brought up Catholic. I didn't know anything about this. I bypassed all of that. We had no theological conundrums in the Catholic Church. It was just get it over with and get home. That was the Catholic doctrine. Try and avoid Father Maha as much as possible because he had these glaring eyes. I knew he could see my sin. So I'd run by him on the way out. He'd be looking at me too. He's this tall guy. He's the perfect. He looked like a gargoyle. Like a six-foot-five gargoyle with a pointy nose and the gaunt face. Long fingers, yeah, like Bela Lugosi. (laughs) Poor guy, I'm sure he's dead now, hopefully, but the Lord, (laughs) I don't know. Father Ma, all right, anyway, what about prophecy? What about all this prophecy? Now, we're going to try and iron this out a bit, right? I can't do it in one class, obviously. You didn't miss the bus. That's the beauty of the prophecy. That's what Paul's going to do in 2 Thessalonians 2. For some reason, the Thessalonians got in their heads. By the way, they have there's there's the gift of prophecy in the church. It's something I never thought of before. And the gift of prophecy is going to talk about this stuff in the church. This is stuff that Paul didn't teach them. But if you have the gift of prophecy in the early church, you you speak what, the, what God put on your heart. And so somebody speaks something about the coming of either the Antichrist or the famines and wars and all of this, and they probably got confused. That could be. But Paul writes to them and says, look, don't be scared. You have not missed it. The day of the Lord hasn't come because the beast is not in the temple. That's what he plainly says. Now in our age, there isn't even a temple so you're, you've got plenty of time for the bus. You're like way early, but that's the gift of the prophecy. You're not in the great tribulation, and I think we all agree. And, and I'm firmly of the I don't, the church doesn't go through the tribulation. Now we could be. You have to realize though, you could be wrong about that because is there a passage that says the church will not go through the tribulation? I wish there were. But there isn't. Actually, we're all told that we're all going to experience tribulation in our lives. And the uh, Reformed theologians point to those passages and they say, see, you're going to go through the tribulation. I'm like, yeah, but you're, you're, what you're neglecting is that the tribulation is a seven-year period that is designed to Israel. And we're going to spend time on that. We'll look at that. <coughs> Keep looking. Keep alert. Because the bus is coming. And this is a bus you can't miss. Can't miss it. Any day now, folks, we're in the presence of the Lord. Any day. There's no more chores. There's No more traffic. I'm never in traffic. But I had to take Jeanette. I say had. I had the privilege of taking my mother-in-law to the airport. And bumper-to-bumper, tried. it took us two hours to get there from Salem. Yeah, you know, I'm never in traffic. Oh, I just hate it. I'm so anxious. I want to get by the next guy. What, every lane I'm in is the slowest one. How is that possible? Right? I'm, I finally see a break, and I get over to the fa- the lane that's going by faster, and then all of a sudden, everybody in this lane is passing me. It's just so frustrating. I hate it. Chores, backaches, headaches, cancers, whatever. It's all over. Car payments, mortgages, kids. (laughs) All over. It's over. None of it. Now we have to deal with it as Christ would. Christ didn't come into this world and do nothing. He dealt with it, everything. He dealt with it knowing that He was going to return to the glory of His Father. He wasn't afraid. He didn't get worn out because He knew it was temporary. And He passed this very life on to us with the very same promises. So don't worry about trying to figure it all out. Figure it. Out, we'll figure out as much as we can, but what we don't know, and there's going to be some, leave it in the hands of God. He's got this. He's got it. He's got it. He doesn't need us to figure out the details. And he says, just like he said to the Old Testament prophets, you just trust me. Trust me, it's coming. And this bus is coming and for us it's going to be glory. As Paul writes in 2nd Thessalonians the glory of the Lord, here's what he says, the Lord is going to be glorified in us and that we in ourselves are going to marvel at him. You're going to see him like you've never seen him before. That day could be today or tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promises. We even thank you, Father, that you have not given us a clear point-by-point. You've given us clarity, obviously, Father, we know. But you haven't given us the point-by-point structure that we, at least our curiosity, kind of longs for. But you have told us to trust you. You have all things under control. You are sovereign. Your son, even now, rules at your right hand. It's just a matter of time before he comes again and rules physically, bodily, on earth. We know, Father, as you tell us, that when he does come at the second coming, the whole world will see him. It will be unmistakable. And that we come with him, his holy ones. We're only holy because of what he did for us. We're only holy because of his incredible sacrifice in our behalf. We just long to be like him, Father. We know we come way short. Please teach us through your spirit and through these doctrines to be kinder, gentler, more gracious, more loving, more expectant, and more joyful. You've taken care of all things, the things in this earth that drive us a bit crazy or temporary. Teach us, Father, to overcome. If anyone's listening to my voice who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior, I beg you to please consider who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God who's become a man and He died for the sins of all. He took the place of your judgment. He was judged in your stead. If you believe upon Him, you're accepting His gift. His gift is salvation to you. Salvation through faith, it's a gift. You don't work for it, but you have to accept it. You accept it by faith. Believe in Him and you will be saved. We thank You, Father, so much for who You are. In Christ's name, Amen.